0: Good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, it's certainly been an incredible weekend. And um, <laughs> to answer uh, that question, I'm about to be 40 and most people think I'm, I'm not that old. So there are some people that show up at our church and say, hey, uh, I'm looking for your dad. And um, I was like, I don't know why. <laughs> and so uh, always a good time. Um, um, let me let me say this. I, I love uh, the church. I'm a part of. I love our church. I love our city. Um, I, I love the people I get to do ministry with, um, and, and I don't often actually leave on Sundays or weekends because I just have such an affection for that group of people. Um, let me just encourage you and let you know something. Uh, your student ministry team is out of this world, and, and it's not just part of my—it's true— um, It's not just something that I'm supposed to say or I feel like I'm obligated to say. If I didn't feel that, I just wouldn't say it and I'd just start preaching. Um, You need to know, I have... I have been treated with such hospitality by your church and such kindness and being freed up to just be a part of this community this weekend. Um, So when you see them, tell them thank you. Even if you don't know what it's for, just say thank you for serving so faithfully because they are absolutely humble and faithful uh, to the gospel. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And uh, there's quite a few other verses I would love uh, to introduce this morning i 'm not sure that i 'll have time for that, but um, I certainly want us to be looking at Philippians chapter one and chapter two and and if you have been walking the faith for any any uh, extended amount of time, uh, some of these verses are going to stand out as something you 've read before and uh, might be reminded of and may even think that you have an understanding of certain verses and that might be the case um, but there 's a narrative that that Paul is teaching the Church of Philippi that is a necessity for us. And, um, and to be honest, it's, it's one of the touch points uh, in my own ministry, in my own life, that draws out some things um, very personal. And um, one of the things that we've been challenging the students and uh, adults with throughout the weekend is just this reminder of the call to Christ and being a Christian um, is an invitation. To a lot of things, obviously to joy, to peace, um, uh, to, to wisdom, and, and to clarity, and to hope, and redemption. Uh, these are the words that we typically kind of move toward when we think about what we receive when we become Christians. But th- there's another part of the equation. When you come to Christ, it's an invitation to a lot of things that to your flesh are very unwelcome, and and one of those things might be uh, to be misunderstood. Um, another might be to uh, be walking through difficult paths and have a call to live in those difficulties in a unique way. And so the call that's on our lives as Christians is to live these these upside down kind of lives. And and what that means is that we just don't set the bar. According to culture, we don't look at how everyone else responds to certain things, especially difficulties, and say, that must be how I must act. But the gospel calls us to a very unique, very difficult, but a very rich uh, way of responding to difficulties. And Paul's going to unpack that for us a little bit. And so I hope this serves as two things for us this morning. First, an encouragement. uh, Because uh, I think the statistics are 100% of us in some way, shape, or form, have, are, and will go through suffering. (laughs) And so I hope that this morning serves as some kind of um, almost aloe vera to the soul. I also hope that we leave this morning feeling challenged and really caused to give thought to how we're responding to our suffering, and this is what Paul is going to be addressing. And so Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to Scoot through a few different passages here to make sure we understand what he's driving at in chapter 1, and then get into chapter 2. Let's start reading this. Verse 12 through 14 of Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul's words to the church. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the way he starts chapter 1, even before this, is his normal salutation. So when you read two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul wrote it. (laughs) And so he typically starts out with the salutation of um, greetings, grace and peace be to you, even at the beginning of this book and this letter, he starts by saying, I am confident that the work that Christ has begun in you, he will carry on to completion until the day of Christ and his return. He starts out with a bang of encouragement and edification. And then he, he lets them know how he's doing. Now, if you can't tell, he's writing from a place of trouble and a place of frustration and suffering and what he wants us to know before anything else. He says, this suffering is not wasted. I'm not suffering for suffering's sake. Because that's typically the way the world views suffering is we all go through suffering, so we just have to deal with it and grin and bear it and just push through it. But he says, God has, by grace, given me this opportunity to suffer because Here's the thing. The stage of suffering is the most dynamic stage for presenting the gospel to the world. When you are healthy, when you are fine, when you are feeling great, that is still a great stage to present the gospel, but there is a unique sense of hearing and watching that people give to you when you suffer in the midst of trusting Jesus. Because suffering has a way of exposing things that nothing else does. Is this true? I, I, personality can't hide suffering, right? Um, your, your ego can't hide suffering. Um, nothing can hide suffering. When you are suffering, the true heart of you is exposed. And so there is part of the equation where it is difficult and we hate it and we beg Jesus to br- take it away. I don't think that's right, true, and good. And there's another reality, which by his sovereign hand and his infinite wisdom, he is so chosen for us to walk through particular sufferings. And I want to make sure we're clear on that. Because we're not slaves to um, this idea of what Satan wants to do to us. But if you go back and look at 2 Corinthians eleven twelve, 12, where Paul declares about his own sufferings, he says those sufferings, though they were sent as a tool for him. They are a tool of Satan, certainly, but they are meant to make him humble. There's only one person that wants you to walk in humility. Who is that? That's God himself. And so while Satan thinks he's destroying you, he is nothing but a pawn and a tool in the great scheme and plan of God to build your character and to save more souls. So suffering, we can sit here in confidence going, no matter what it is, I'm not a victim to something. God, by his gracious hand, is actually guiding me through something so that I will become more like Christ and others might see that he is still good in the midst of my hardship. That's good news for us. And that's what he's telling the church of Philippi. He's saying, look, I'm in prison, and let's just be clear, I don't like it. Sometimes we have this idea that he's this unbelievably godly soul and Paul saying, I love to suffer in prison. This is actually my number one choice. It's not true. He, he, He despises it, but he says, here's the results of my imprisonment. People are being saved. People in the Imperial Guard, the ones who actually captured me and have tortured me, are now coming to faith because of my faith as messy as it is, in the midst of suffering. And those who already know Jesus, their faith is being matured and emboldened. And so he's speaking to the church, and he's clearly hinting at this topic of suffering, which is such a unique topic for us to address. Verse 29, we just fast forward just a little bit. He says, look at the words he chooses. Just so we're clear, this is not me just kind of making this up. This is the Spirit of God guiding the heart and the hand of Paul to write this for us. Listen to the words he chooses. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That word granted is a very unique word because I would choose a lot of other terms. (laughs) Um, But he says it has been granted. Any other time I read about the term granted, um, it comes along with other terms of privilege, blessing, grace. There are very few of us who would say, I love to suffer, it is such a grace. But at the heart of the matter, he is saying, it has been by grace granted to you that you would, in your own unique way, in your own platform, in your own life, with your own relationships, in your own job, in your own neighborhood, with your own family, your own friends, your own acquaintances, that you would be able to suffer in a way it would bring about a delight in other people's souls that Christ is still the greatest of treasures, even in the midst of that. That's what he's saying in chapter one. So I could have read the whole chapter, but I think we got a good idea of what he is introducing. So then we get to chapter two. So he talks about himself and he's saying, here's what I'm going through and here's the results of all of my pain. And then in chapter two, he starts bringing the community into it. He says, now I want to encourage, exhort, and admonish you is what he says. And I want you to live in a particular way in the midst of your suffering because here's what's happening. The church of Philippi are going through very unique sufferings just like you and just like me. And I'll share some of that in just a few moments. But we are all all participants in the story of suffering, are we not? He says this in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. This is such a dynamic chapter because this is the part of scripture that so many of us are familiar with in Philippians. Now, if you only teach these four verses in chapter two by themselves, it's still dynamic, isn't it? Live in unity, be of the same mind, be of the same heart. Uh, don't consider yourself first, consider others first, lay your life down, surrender, walk in humility, submission to one another. This is how the body should live. Now, if that's what we're teaching in itself, that's already difficult and powerful, but you have to think in context of these two chapters. Not only is he saying that the upside down call to our life is to live this way, but listen closely, regardless of age, regardless of history, he says, Suffering is part of the human condition, and certainly for the Christian. Uh, There is a unique suffering that Christians go through because we are trying to be faithful in the midst of it. In the midst of your suffering, live this way. And I read that, and I'm like, thank you, Paul, for your wise words. Not a chance. Not a chance. I know how I typically suffer and those are not the verses that describe my existence and my suffering, right? I have a hard enough time considering other people anyway. You're saying in the midst of my suffering that I am to serve others because what I've been conditioned to think is in my suffering, it's my season, my time for everyone to come to me. Everyone serve me. There's certainly a time and place for that, but he says, oh, what a powerful declaration and demonstration of the gospel of Christ that when you are weak and you are in the mysterious of places, and when you are in those dark seasons, that still you are considering others, it blows people's minds. It blows people's minds. Because what they would assume is that you would deal with your suffering like the rest of the world, which would be Demand everything as opposed to, I still want to wash your feet in the midst of my own pain and hurt and doubt and faithlessness and struggle. So, what he's putting before us, let's just be very honest about this. Possibly the most difficult call for the Christian. So, I chose to preach about it this Sunday morning. (laughs) Uh, Here's why. I don't want to preach on it just because it's difficult. I I want to preach about it because the reward is so strong and twofold. For our own soul, we we find so much joy when we continue walking in this uh, submitted, surrendered way, even in the midst of our hardship. But secondly, because it is the most pronounced way that people come to faith. Our faith is built upon a perfect man, the God-man, who died. I mean, our faith is built upon suffering. Our encouragement, you know why? Uh, we talked about this this past week. You know why we all love the Psalms? Students, you'll remember this. But we love the Psalms because, well, because they're beautiful. They're ugly. Have you read them? They are truly what we describe as schizophrenic in the soul. They are David saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're beautiful. And then a Selah moment. I don't know if you're that trustworthy. I don't like you. I don't want you. I'm leaving, Selah. I take it all back. I love you, Selah. No, I take that back, Selah. I take it all back. (laughs) That's why we love the Psalms. That's why we love the scriptures because we can identify the people wrestling through hardship, suffering, and questioning all kinds of things. And that's why we read the scriptures and go, oh, I'm so encouraged because Jesus went through this because Paul went through this. So in some degree, we're rejoicing because of their suffering, because we feel like we have someone who understands us. So we are, in some way, shape, or form, people that identify with suffering in a very unique, unique way. There's a couple typical ways that we respond to suffering. And when I say suffering, it could be anything. Um, It could be physical. um, It could be disease. um, It could be um, illness of the heart and the mind. It could be rejection, depression. It could be isolation. It could be um, feeling unwanted. It could feel uh, anxiety, overwhelmed. It could be anything, right? Suffering has all kinds of friends. Um, There's a couple of go-to ways that we respond. Very important to think through because if we can think about this, we can understand the way we typically respond to these things. When hardship comes our way, we typically respond with either self-exaltation or self-preservation, right? Um, And we might even feel justified in both of them. But if something happens to us or we go through a season that's difficult, um, we'll either respond with, um, how is this even fair, I don't deserve this. And we start to look at other people and grow in cynicism toward this and a little bit of hatred and frustration because they're not reaching out to us and they're not caring for us and they're not ministering to us accordingly. And how dare they? Don't they know that I'm in pain? Don't they know I'm suffering? And we slowly start to develop this posture of above everyone. And we justify it all day long, don't we? I'm the king of this. I do this all the time. And then there's the self preservation, which means we seclude ourselves from others. Uh, we don't want to get hurt again, or it's just too much energy to have to explain what's going on, and we pull away. So we either try to stand above or we pull away from people. It's our typical go tos. And there's a third response, and Paul says, neither of those. Don't resort to either of those because they are the opposite of the gospel. Instead, it is to press into. The person and work of Jesus, and asking Him to give us a transformed, renewed mind and heart to live differently in the midst of our suffering. And that sounds beautiful. It sounds like a great song to sing, but how in the world do we do this? I'm glad you asked the question. Um, the Holy Spirit is not only a great pastor to us and the perfect pastor for us, but He's the perfect teacher for us, and He teaches us how to respond to this. Isn't that that so encouraging about the scriptures that the Bible is not do these things, let us know how it goes. That's that's not how the Bible teaches us. The Bible says, here's how to live as Christ and here's how, here's how perfect teacher. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, this is how he says. So let's just make sure we're clear here. He says, I've been through suffering. I'm seeing God move because of it. Um, You're going through suffering, and you will go through suffering. Then in chapter 2 says, and you need to have this mindset of preserving unity, loving one another, submitting to one another, surrendering to one another, uh, uh, fight for oneness. And here's how you do it. Verse 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, you need to underline that word grasp because that, that, is, that is the word that makes this thing, this thing go. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, Paul says that Jesus did not consider equality with Uh, God, a thing to be grasped. That does not mean emotionally he did not understand who he was. He wasn't going through some crisis of identity. He's saying this, and you have to grab a hold of this. The picture of Jesus leaving heaven was not an unwilling son holding on to the edges of heaven saying, I'm not going, I'm not going, and the father stepping on his finger saying, You have to. He was not trying to grasp heaven and not leave. It was not some unwilling, you will go serve them. Fine. Fine, Father. That's not the image of Jesus. The image of Jesus is willingly say, I'm going to chase them down. Go lavish them with grace and love. And they're gonna spit on me, they're gonna hate me, and they've done nothing to deserve it, and I'm just going to just completely consume them in my kindness and my salvation and my redemption. He says, if that's the mentality and the behavior of Jesus, since we he is our King, he says, Set your mind on that. Think about his sufferings, think about the way he responded, think about the way he perfectly dealt with the greatest of difficulties, difficulties we will never even understand. He says, and when you think upon that, instead of just thinking about your hardship, but thinking about Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his preserving of unity for the body in the midst of his own infinite struggle, it starts to do a work in your own heart. Because what we typically do is we stop and we ponder for hours and days and weeks and months about, look at my struggle, look how hard things are. But Paul says, if you do that, you will find yourself in self-exaltation or self-preservation. But if you stop and you study the scriptures and let the Spirit of God just bring the narrative and story, the heart of Jesus from his own struggle, your heart will become like his. That's what makes the Bible so utterly unique. It's not just words to be read. that They literally jump off the pages and tattoo themselves into who we are. They change the actual way we think, feel, and live. The beauty of the scriptures, yes, so much more than what we are accustomed to. So, I'm going to spend these last 10 minutes answering really this question of what are the most common temptations that we, were, we are going to face in the midst of our suffering. So, so let's just stop for a moment, take a deep breath, because... We're talking about suffering. <laughs> we're talking about hardship. It doesn't, it doesn't naturally feel encouraging, um, but it will and it should. But I think what we have to do is be very aware of the way we typically respond in the midst of our hardship. What are some of the things we're so tempted to do? The first thing we're tempted to do is consult with self. We love to consult with self. And what I mean by that is... Um, if someone wrongs us or hurts us, um, we feel um, removed from community, we feel like um, we have been pushed to the side and our feelings are hurt and our soul aches. We start to consult with self, and here's what that typically looks like. You know what? I don't deserve that. And I used to have questions about them, but now I know for the fact, they're just evil people. I didn't think they were evil, but now I know they're absolutely evil, and actually, I hate them. That's right. They're evil, and I hate them. I want nothing but bad things. I'm actually going to pray for very, very bad things for them. Used to be friends, but clearly now, I can see clearly now. (laughs) God, thank you that you have allowed me to see with great clarity and wisdom. They're the worst people in the billions of people that have ever been created. They are, this select group of people that have hurt me, and I don't deserve that, and I'm better than that. I'm better than them I would never look down on them and and say things about them (laughs) and we start to consult with self now that's just talking about emotions there's a myriad of other sufferings but we we consult with self and we we make rational thoughts out of things that are just not rational and we become our own pastors don't we We start to consult the self and try to determine here's how I should respond. Here's how they responded on TV. Here's how my coworker responded. It didn't work out great, but not too bad. Here's how typically people respond. So I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to hate them. I won't love them. And we start to actually consult with ourselves because our flesh consults with ourselves as opposed to what the Spirit of God consults us with. And that's why we end up downright miserable in the midst of our hardships um but there's another way and and i think the term is best described as preaching to yourself you can consult with yourself does this make sense and let's not talk like we don't have conversations with ourselves please i know you do um i do is that just me (laughs) if so that's okay um (laughs) but there's a preaching to self that has to happen Uh, martin lloyd jones is great great pastor from many years ago he he had this quote just listen to this quote um Most of our unhappiness in life is because we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. We sit around and we grumble and we murmur. We listen to ourselves grumble and murmur instead of saying, self, God will take care of you. Self, God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him. Self, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Self, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will care for you. Self, God is in control. That's called preaching to yourself. And the only way you can do that is if you're immersed in the word of God to know what to preach to yourself. So when you are wronged or when you're in pain or when you are forgotten, you go to the word of God and you be reminded of yourself of saying, self, (laughs) some of you think I'm crazy. Self, here is what's real. Trust in the sovereign provision of Jesus don't give in to the way you want to fight back. Respond with grace. Respond with forgiveness. Respond with trust because it is what sets your soul free and will change them. There is a preaching to self as opposed to consulting with ourselves. Does that make sense? Secondly, um, we typically avoid biblical community. We typically avoid biblical community. We, we, that's hard to do anyway. We don't. We're not naturally a, a, a trusting people. But when we go through hardship, we feel like day after day, they don't get me. They don't know my struggle. They don't understand me. They're just going to annoy me with some kind of like antidotes that won't work. And, and, and you start to pull away slow and slower. And, and what Paul's saying is in the midst of your hardship, all the more fight for unity and community with one another because your flesh will want to tear apart. And it doesn't mean you just want to tear each other. It means you want to tear apart from others. And you will find yourself very, very isolated. Third, um, this is not a temptation of necessarily a bad thing, but exclusively it can be a bad thing. Um, In the midst of our suffering, we have a temptation to only beg Jesus to take away the pain and nothing else. Is praying that God would remove struggle and hardship A good thing? Absolutely. We see it throughout Scripture. It's actually a good thing. You bet. But we also have to know that there's a chance he won't. I don't think we we say that to each other enough. Because I think we're afraid to say that's a lack of faith. No, it's not. I'll share with you in just a moment as we close. But this has been part of my own story. There is one aspect of our flesh that says, I just want this whole thing to go away. I want everything fixed. We almost kind of throw some internal tantrums unless it happens. But what if that season that you're in is not just another month, but it's another year? What if it's five more? What if it's 10? So really the prayer cannot just exclusively be, God, take this away. It should be that, but it should also be, but as Jesus prayed before his betrayal, not my will, but yours. So if this is good for my soul to make me more like Jesus, if you were doing a work in me and maturing me, would you give me the courage and the tenacity and the endurance to suffer well so that others would know you through it? It can't just be exclusively taken away. It's, but if you don't, would you please do a work in my heart in the midst of it? Um, I'm not an expert in this subject, and I'm certainly not someone who stands from a mile away looking at the subject and just says, here's how you should um, uh, we've had a, a really unique set of, of struggles, as we all do in our lives, right? In this room, we all have our unique set of pain and struggles. Um, I've battled depression uh, a large portion of my life. Um, still do. Still visit that place quite often. Um, it's an ongoing battle. Um, I, uh, my, my wife has gone through, as I shared with the students, um, she's gone through many miscarriages over the course of, of our marriage and, and watched... Um, just a toll that took on her own soul and mine, but hers specifically. Um, the one that has really stood out to me in the last four or five years um, has been my physical health. Um, I have always struggled to some degree or another um, with illness. And, and um, I've seen doctors after doctors after doctors from high school, to college, in my 20s, um, trying to figure out what was going on, test after test. Kind of just gave up. Like, man, guess I'm, this is just what normal life is, just to feel like you have the flu every day. <laughs> um, about four years ago, after our 9 o'clock service, um, I was on the stage, and I, my heart was, was racing all weekend and all morning, and it wasn't anxiety. It wasn't some kind of, you know, I'm afraid of being in front of people. I'm too comfortable, unfortunately, in front of people. Uh, my my heart was racing. I, I couldn't breathe, and I was struggling all weekend with this. and It was just getting worse. Um, when I finished... Um, uh, praying, I got off stage, walked straight to the side into the back um, room that we were sitting at in between services, and I texted a friend saying, hey, there's something wrong with me. I need a nurse or a doctor. There's something not right. Um, I started going blind, um, and I went numb over my whole body, and then I, I collapsed um they they um we had a cardiologist present which is that's a big win and uh of all the people it was like we brought you a cardiologist i'm like this is you're really killing it today thank you and so he came in and uh said my heart rate was over 240 250 beats per minute and says that you actually should not um actually be here breathing still uh they shoved me in his car raced me to the hospital i spent the next 10 months in and out of hospitals um i did not work for a year didn't um, get to walk around on my own for four months. I would collapse every time I would stand up. Um, uh, Labs would come back and they were confused. And um, now, three and a half, four years later, we've gotten to a place where we've understood that I've had a a muscle disease I was born with that they just discovered just now, just four years in. um, And now it's starting to make some sense. But I'm just gonna be honest with you. Those nine, 10, 11 months were the loneliest Darkest, most deserted moments of my life. Um, I couldn't serve the way I was accustomed. I certainly couldn't preach. Um, I couldn't jump on the trampoline with my kids. I laid in bed. Um, I spent weeks and weeks in hospitals in Austin, Houston. Back to Austin. Um, and so much physical pain right and this is not a sympathy card this is just like if you're going through things like that i can identify um one of the things that still stands out is i go through uh, my muscles these huge knots almost like uh, baseballs in my legs where they almost have to be hit to be removed um i i still deal with these things again this is not hey everyone listen to my story and come i need a group hug it's not my that's not what i'm saying I'm just saying I'm a fellow sufferer and I'm also someone who understands what it means in the midst of suffering to consult with self and to only beg Jesus take it away and nothing else matters, right? And to isolate from community and to judge other people for not ministering the way I think they should be ministering to me because don't they know what I'm going through and being frustrated with my wife for not perfectly understanding me, (laughs) for judging my kids Who want me to jump on the trampoline? Don't you understand daddy's sick? Y'all are the worst people. (laughs) I get what it means to go through physical, emotional, um, mental anguish and go, I don't understand it. I don't like it. This stinks. I don't deserve this. I thought I was doing the good work of the Lord. Why is this all happening? No one really cares for me. I'm being forgotten. I am worthless. I have no hope. I have been there absolutely. All my depression just started rising up again through it all. Just the worst year I can imagine. I say that to say, this sermon is written not simply from observing Paul's words, but from saying, it's true. This is how we typically respond. And it's true. It does not serve our soul well. And it's true when repentance comes, even in the midst of our own suffering. Others see the radiant Jesus that we worship. And so now I, I don't walk around going, it's okay, I'm in pain, but Jesus is better. That's not I don't walk around all the time like that. My wife hasn't hearing me just complain, and, and, but can I say what is happening from that, those moments? There's repentance following that. In times where I don't think people are serving me well enough in the midst of my own ongoing struggle and pain, My own exhaustion, I have to repent from that. And I have been begging Jesus, oh, would you use this, whether you heal me completely tomorrow or I'd limp until the day I die. Would you use this so that my kids, my wife, my neighbors, my fellow elders, my my church, my city, those I get to walk alongside would observe and say, what an imperfect man with a messy faith. But look how Jesus sustains. I want to grow in affection for that king. I'm begging him to do that work. And that's what I'm praying for us, okay? That's what I'm praying for us. So there's good news. We call this the good news of suffering. And that sounds like crazy talk to the world. But for us, we know what's true. It's right for our soul, yes? So let's, let's just stop for a moment. Take a deep breath. And ask him to to stitch this into our own hearts, into our own minds. Maybe just for a moment, maybe you need to close your eyes. And there's nothing extra godly about that or closing or opening your eyes. But maybe that just helps remove some distractions. But just for a moment, before we go think about lunch, before we think about leaving, can we just stop for a moment and just... ask God to reveal what are those places of pain and you may know those things immediately. Would you ask him to fix your mind and your heart on the person and work of Jesus that your heart would become softened, surrendered in the midst of this? Would would you ask him to use even your suffering, whatever it is, to be a stage in which you can proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of Christ to those who have not heard because you have their ears. God, we are asking that this morning it would be so much more than being reminded that we are fellow sufferers, but oh God, whether it is in the past or it is in our present or it is in our future, near or far, would you give us the kind of obedience? to serve one another, to care for one another even in the midst of our own great pain because you're better and you're good for our souls and we want to see others saturated with your grace. We love you and we trust you to do a work that clearly only you can do. In Christ's name, amen.